Good morning. We're going to look at Moses today. We're going to continue our Old Testament series, and we're going to look at the life of Moses. Uh, pretty big name to try to cover uh, on a Sunday morning. A lot's been a lot in the Bible about Moses, and so fasten your seatbelts a little bit. We're going to try to do a little bit of a sketch of his life, but then we're going to land on Exodus 33, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, where Moses asked God to show him his glory. And we're going to ask God this morning to reveal himself to us and to show himself to us. And as I mentioned in my prayer, that we might be spiritually receptive. One of my favorite books, and really this is one of my top fives of, of must-reads, is A.W. Tozer's The Pursuit of God. And he uh, uh, has a lot to say about being spiritually receptive to what God is doing uh, around us and, and hearing the speaking voice of God. And so this morning we're going to look at Moses. And uh, two weeks ago, Blake talked about, preached on Abraham. And last week, uh, was it Caleb here? Is that right? Is anybody here? Was that right? Gideon. Gideon. Sorry, I've been out a little bit. Uh, you can pray for me. I, I had an, my appendix out uh, about 11 days ago, so I'm uh, honestly feeling a little weak this morning. So if you would please pray for me, I, I would greatly appreciate it. But uh, today we're going to look at Moses. You know, it's really fascinating. In the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, we have unearthed uh, a, a recent picture of, of Moses. Uh, it's way back in the back of the cave in, in a... In a urn that uh, no one had uh, broken open, and we found this picture, and so we now know um, what he looked like, and it gives us a little better understanding into his life. And, you know, this is somewhat of a generational question, but I've got to ask you this. How many of you know who this guy is? You raise your hand. Who is this? Who's the actor? Charlton Heston, and he played in what movie? The Ten Commandments. Excellent. You know, if you hadn't seen it, it's a, it's a must-see. It's only four hours long. Uh, you, it'll uh, breeze right through it. But this is Charlton Heston. This was Cecil uh, B. DeMille's last film. It was an epic. It's huge. I mean, in the scene of the Exodus when they're leaving Egypt, they had 25,000 extras in this film. It was, it's, it was an amazing film. And Cecil B. DeMille felt like the success of the film was dependent on who played Moses. And so that's where he picked Charlton Heston. He felt like he was the perfect guy. Booming voice. He was actually the voice of God in the movie as well. He was six feet two, 210 pounds, chiseled features. I mean, the guy that you would expect to look like the leader of Israel, right? The guy that was just amazing and fit all of our uh, images of what a leader should look like. Actually, as we're going to see, Moses wasn't totally like this. And he had some shortcomings. And he had some weaknesses, as we all do. And that's why he is somewhat of an unlikely hero as we think of him. And we will be able to relate to some of the things about Moses. But, for example, Cecil B. DeMille wanted... um, Charlton Heston to stutter in his role because in Exodus chapter 4, we read as God was asking and telling Moses to go lead his people out of Egypt. You remember Moses was 
pretty reticent about this. I'm not sure about this. Who am I? Who are you? And uh, I've got this speech problem, God. And we don't know for sure what that was. But uh, Cecil D. Uh, B. DeMille really tried to be accurate biblically. And so he wanted Charlton Heston to stutter. Well, he tried and it just didn't work. It just didn't feel right. So what he did instead was he had Moses, he had Charlton Heston speak slowly. Let my people go. And that was his way of accomplishing uh, the biblical uh, teaching of uh, Moses in, in his incident with, with speech. Well, maybe if you don't know Charlton Heston, maybe you know this guy. And uh, a little newer, this uh, film came out in 1998, and uh, all of our kids have watched this. I don't know how many hundreds of times we've watched this in our home. But uh, there's another depiction of uh, Moses as the prince of Egypt. A few uh, liberty, uh, more liberties we're taking here from the biblical example But let's set the context for where we are in our Old Testament in Israel's timeline. 2166, we have Abraham. 1876 B.C., uh, Jacob and his 12 sons enter Egypt. It's actually, um, and, and Joseph was there. They become a great nation. They're given the best part of the land. They, they multiply. Um, they become so great that Pharaoh, there arose a Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph, and they began to fear the uh, Israelites. They began to worry that they were going to overtake them. And so the Pharaoh issued an edict, and there was, uh, they worked projects, and he thought, well, I'll work them to death, and they won't have as many children, and that didn't work. And so he asked the midwives to uh, do away with the uh, male, uh, male children, and they didn't do it. And then he had a, a horrible edict that he asked for um, all of the firstborn males, uh, or not firstborn, all the, the male children to, to be killed. And so it was in this context that Moses was born, and uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But uh, in, in Egypt, Israel grew into a huge nation, so big that in the Exodus in 1446 B.C., there were, uh, the Bible tells us in Exodus 12, 600,000 men and uh, Commentators estimate that this may have been as, mil- as many as 2 million people. That's a, that's a lot of people. That's a, a big group to, to lead and, and to take care of. And, and God raised up Moses to fulfill this task. Well, who is Moses? I want to suggest to you that he's a regular guy that had a really big impact. In many ways, he's not any different than you or me. You know, we, God asks us to do things and... Sometimes we uh, are reluctant. Sometimes we, we struggle with that. Sometimes we, we question, who me? And we're going to see Moses um, questioning this as well. But uh, I just want to ask you, how many times do you think Moses, his name, appears in our Bible, in the Old and New Testament? Anyone, anyone want to guess? Big name. He's all through the Bible. Abraham was less than 500. I'll give you a little hint there. How many times do you think Moses is mentioned in our Bible. Anyone want to guess? Well, we'll move on. Uh, nobody wanted to step out there. 1,768 times. Impress your neighbor with that Bible trivia. But Moses occurs 1,768 times. In fact, in the New Testament, his name appears in all, but I think it's about seven of the books of the New Testament. I mean, Moses is big. His name is big. He's all throughout our Bible. And we're going to see, I'm going to do a little survey of, of who he is. In terms of 
his uh, upbringing. He was born from the house of, of Levi, of the, um, uh, the priestly line. Amram was his dad, and his mother was Jochebed. He had an older brother, Aaron. Um, we estimate, estimate he, well, we know he was three years older than uh, Moses, because when Moses was asked to lead the people out of, of Egypt, we find out that he's 80 years old, a spry young man at, at the age of 80, and uh, Aaron is 83. Miriam is his sister. And uh, the word Moses means to draw forth. And in Exodus chapter 2, we uh, learn that in this horrible setting, can you imagine parents being asked or being told that the government is going to come and and kill kill your your male children? In this setting, Amram and Jochebed with their two children have have a baby. Verse 2, and the woman conceived, uh, chapter 2. 2 of Exodus verse 2, and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitched pitch. And then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. And you know the rest of the story. She uh, allowed uh, God sovereignly, providentially had this basket float down to where uh, Pharaoh's daughter was bathing. And uh, she discovered this little little baby. That's what this picture uh, depicts. And uh, chose to adopt the child. And she asked uh, Miriam, who was following along, can you find a nurse? And, of course, uh, Miriam found Moses' mother, Jochebed, to be his nurse, to raise the child. And at some point, though, he, was, he entered into the, the education and instruction of uh, the best that Egypt had to, had to offer. And he was trained and educated in the royal palace. So Moses was a regular guy, uh, born in a challenging set of circumstances. His name means to draw forth, to draw forth out of, out of the water, or literally to save out of the water. Moses, interestingly enough, and this is where many of us can relate and identify with him, he had some struggles. He may have struggled with uh, self-esteem. Uh, he certainly had some speech problems. And he had some anger issues. Let's look at some of those. In chapter 3, we're going to fast forward a little bit to the burning bush. And I'm going to talk more about that here in just a minute. But in uh, chapter, uh, actually at the end of chapter 2, Moses sees an an, uh, Egyptian that is abusing some of the Hebrews. And he takes matters in his own hands, kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand, thinks the incident's uh, nobody else is going to know. It, it's, it's found out. Pharaoh finds out, tries to kill him. Moses has to flee to Midian. And that's where he meets his, uh, his, his wife. And more about that in just a moment. But he spends 40 years in Midian. And 40 years later, after he's had a wife and two sons, then Moses experiences the, uh, the burning bush. And we see Moses and God coming to him in the form of the burning bush. Let me, let me catch us up here just a little bit. As I mentioned, he married Zipporah. Uh, he had two sons, Gershom and Eliezer. And God reveals himself in Exodus chapter 3 through the burning bush. Verse 1, Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. 
So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, he called him by name, he knew him, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. He said, do not come near, remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And then Moses hid his face, for he's afraid to look at God. And this is consistent throughout Scripture. Whenever someone experiences God, be it Isaiah or whoever, John in, in, in the Revelation, they're, they're laid low. They're just blown away by the radiance, the power, the majesty, and the glory of God. Verse 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, task masters, for I am aware of their sufferings. For I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. And now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, here it is, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you... Moses, you, Moses, may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Okay, now here comes his first question. You got to be kidding, God. Who? Me? But Moses, verse 11, said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? You ever feel that way? God asks you to do something, God asks you to step into leadership, He asks you to obey Him in an area. That's, that's challenging, that puts us out in, a, in an area of, of dependency. And you ever find yourself questioning yourself? Who, who am I? It's a natural thing. I, I do it too. Who, who am I? But God, I'm not too sure about this. So Moses is questioning whether he has what it takes to do what God's asking him to do. Lead these people. I, I've been to Egypt. I've seen that power. I know what Pharaoh's going to... He's not going to be real pumped when he sees me coming in saying, Hey, see ya. And so God answers to him. Verse 12. And this is where our confidence needs to come from. When God gives us an assignment, this is where we have to go. God says to, to Moses, he said, Certainly I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of this uh, out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Apart from him we can do nothing. And so those times when God asks us to do something and we go, who am I? Realize that through Christ all things are possible. I can do all things in the one in the person in through Christ who strengthens us. So through a relationship with Almighty God, His Spirit comes and dwells us. And we receive the power from Him to accomplish what God's asking us to do. could be parenting, as Blake talked about earlier. I'll tell you what, that takes Spirit-filled moms and dads to, to parent and to raise children, to grow up, to be um, uh, Christ-like. We need Him. We need to dep- be dependent upon Him. Uh, in the workplace, at school, or wherever we are. 
So that's what we've got to go back to when we ask those natural questions. Who am I? Remember that God will never ask us to do something unless he is equipping us and giving us the resources to accomplish it. God promises to Moses that I will be with you. And he promises that to us as well, that he will be with us. Then Moses said to God, he asked another question in verse 13. Okay, so now he's at, he's, he said, who am I? Now he wants to know, well, who are you? Good question. Moses said to God, behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Now here it is. This is the beginning point of where God explains himself as the covenant God of Israel. And he reveals who he is to Moses. First time we see this in in the Old Testament. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you. This is Yahweh, the covenantal name of God and with his chosen people. The, the loyal nature and character of God is dependent on him fulfilling what he has promised in keeping his covenant with his people. I am Yahweh and I am who I am. God furthermore said to Moses, you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord your God The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generation. And so Moses is having this dialogue at the burning bush. He's on his face before the Lord, and he's asking God, who who am I? He says, I'm going to be with you. Who are you? I am that I am, the covenant name of Israel. And so now Moses is still wondering, do do I have what it takes? In chapter 4, verse 1. Moses asked the third question. When Moses answered and said, What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, The Lord has not appeared to you. What if they say, Hey, you just, you know, you just had some bad onions and had a dream, you know? What do I say then? And the Lord said to him, What's that in your hand? And so he goes on to show him through his staff. Throw down your staff, it will become a serpent. Grab the serpent, and it will come back a staff. His hand will become like leprosy. Put it in your uh, cloak and it will come out healed. These will be signs that you can use. So that, verse 5, they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Moses still struggling here. He's still wondering, am I, am I right? God, are you sure? Do you have the right guy? Look down at verse 10. Question number 4. Then Moses said to the Lord. Again, this is all the burning bush. He's, 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 he's on his face before the Lord. Uh, I'd be shaken. Uh, and Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him dumb or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I even I will be with your mouth and teach you what you're to say. And we can have that confidence again as God is leading us to step out in an area of obedience. That if he's calling us to do something, he will give us the ability. He will give us the words to say. You ever feel fearful about talking to your neighbor about Jesus Christ? Or to talking, you know what's even harder, talking to a family member about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is the way, the only way, the truth, and the life. 
You ever get a little bit nervous about that? God will give you and me the words to say. He's not going to lead us to share the good news with somebody apart from speaking through us. We can have that confidence. And I've had times when I've been talking to people and I'm like, whoo, where did that come from? And I'm sure you, many of you have too. It's because it's, it's God at work in and through us. Well, Moses, in verse 13, chapter 4, he's still not satisfied. Please, Lord, now send, send a messenger by whoever, whoever you will. There's got to be somebody else, God. Verse 14, then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. And he said, is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? God, uh, Moses, I could use you. I could make your tongue. I could give you the words to speak. But okay, I've also equipped Aaron. And, and he, is, he does speak fluently. And uh, moreover, behold, he's coming out to meet you right now. And when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart and you're to speak with him and put the words in his mouth. And here it is again, I, even I, Yahweh, the covenantal name of God, will be with you, Moses, and with your mouth and his mouth. And I will teach you what you are to do. So, again, we've got a regular guy that has a really big impact, a guy that struggled, a guy that was concerned. And uh, while he was, um, uh, he goes back to Egypt, he has talks to Pharaoh. Of course, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. We have the 10 plagues. The last of them is the Passover, which is beautiful. And uh, for the sake of time, we can't really go into that, but just highlight Exodus chapter 12 in your Bible because it is a picture of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And in the Passover Lamb, God issued the last of the plagues. It was a terrible plague that the firstborn male child would die unless a lamb's blood had been spread over the doorpost and that the death angel would pass over that house. And this is instrumental in the history of Israel as they uh, celebrated this, this event through the Feast of, uh, of Unleavened Bread. And it's instrumental as this is a picture of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who the perfect Lamb, the innocent, perfect, spotless Lamb who died in our place. John the Baptist, uh, in baptizing Jesus, said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We now have the Exodus, and Moses leads Egypt out of uh, leads Israel out of Egypt after the um, the death angel in, in the the horrible outcry of of in the land of Egypt of the males and even the the the, the animals the firstborn died. Then Moses, then uh, Pharaoh relents and allows Moses to lead. So he leads them out, and uh, there's. Heston again in his uh, famous uh, part of the movie where he's telling Pharaoh that he will no longer see his... Pharaoh actually tells him, this will be the last time you will see my face. And Moses says, that's right, you'll see my face no longer. So Moses leads them out. They come to the Red Sea. Again, this is a critical part in in, in Moses' life. Um, Many movie critics say this is the most amazing event, the most uh, poignant event. Uh, time in, in, in the history of all uh, making of all movies was when uh, during the parting of the Red Sea, 
And it's depicted as Moses parting the Red Sea, but of course Moses did not part the Red Sea. It was God. He caused a, they were hemmed in by the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army was coming, and God um, uh, was keeping them at bay with, with a, um, a pillar of fire. And, and God blew, had a, had a wind blow all night long so that the next morning that the Israelites could pass across miraculously across the Red Sea to safety. The uh, Pharaoh and the, his army and his chariots pursued them and God had the Red Sea come back and, and they, were, they were killed and they were destroyed. And on the other side, they, they, they rejoice uh, at seeing the hand of God spare them. Dr. Eugene Merrill mentions in Kingdom of the Priests that the Exodus is the most significant historical and theological event of the Old Testament because it depicts God rescuing his people from slavery. And in the New Testament, Moses is even mentioned as a, as a type of Christ who, as Christ rescues us from being enslaved to sin and uh, redeems us and sets us free to uh, serve a new master. Um, uh, our Lord and our King. Moses, a regular guy with a really big impact. We now have the Ten Commandments, and uh, at Mount Sinai, Moses receives instruction on the, uh, morally on how the people are to live and how they're to, to worship. And uh, first and foremost, they should, should have no other God before them. While Moses is 40 days up on Mount Sinai, uh, he comes. Uh, back down and what's happened. Um, his own brother is, is doubting what's taking place. And uh, people are inciting him and he uh, melts down their, their golden rings and many of the golden items that they'd actually taken from Egypt. And he uh, constructs a golden calf. So Moses comes down after spending 40 days with God and, and having this amazing experience to see the, the nation um, experiencing idolatry. And he throws the tablets down, they're broken, and uh, he calls up the, the, the Levites and they, gather, they bear their sword and they um, exercise punishment, vengeance, discipline on, on those who've disobeyed and 3,000 were killed by the sword. Afterwards, the people uh, re- repent and uh, Moses continues on and, and leads them. We see him, I'm going to come back to Exodus 33, but uh, we, they go to Canaan, the promised land, Kadesh, uh, the region of Kadesh Barnea, and uh, they send spies into the land to check it out. They come back, and 10 of them said, whoa, no way we should go in there, there's giants in the land. And uh, except for Joshua and Caleb, Joshua and Caleb says, we can do this. But because of their uh, disobedience and because of their doubting, then God has the nation of Israel wander 40 years in the desert and they all die except for Joshua and and Caleb in terms of entering into the promised land. And it's a very um, uh, interesting time in the the nation of Israel Israel and the history of Israel and it's during this time that God uh, speaks to Moses and uh, it's in this context we're going to pick back up here in just a minute. But just, just in summary, again, he's a regular guy. He was a close follower of God. We have the Mosaic Covenant. It was named after him, which is con- conditional, that if you obey me, 
I will bless you if you disobey me. I will smite you with a curse. Um, One of the things I love about Moses is he raised up Joshua to lead the nation of Israel. He passed the baton on to him. And and after Moses died at the age of 120, then Joshua led the nation of Israel. Moses saw the promised land, but he was never able to enter into it. Why was that? It's because he disobeyed God. And he was instructed to bring forth water. And he kind of took matters in his own hands, struck the rock twice. And uh, as a result of that, God said, you're not going to be able to enter in. You'll be able to see it, but you won't uh, be able to enter in. Moses died at the age of 120 on Mount Nebo. He's able to look out over and see uh, the, the promised land, but he was not able to enter into it. I mentioned that Moses is found throughout the Bible. One key instance is in Matthew 17, 3, at the, uh, uh, with Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses and Elijah appeared to him. Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the, the prophets. Let's look now at Exodus chapter 33. And this is an amazing chapter. And the context here is we've just come out of the, of the uh, experience with the, the golden calf and the idolatry of the people. And the, the anger of the Lord is, is burning against his people and he's ready to wipe them out. And Moses pleads with the Lord and he intercedes with the Lord. And it's one of these amazing things that I don't understand how prayer uh, a lot of times, you know, you have God's sovereignty, but somehow, some way, as James says, the effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And somehow, some way, God intercedes, uh, Moses intercedes and has this dialogue with God, and we get to pick up on it. And um, in Exodus chapter 3, Exodus 33 1, the Lord spoke to Moses, and he said, Depart from here, you and your people. Verse 3, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up in your midst because you are an obstinate people. You're a sinful people. We are, we are born in sin and we need a Savior. We need Jesus Christ. And that was true of uh, these people as well, the, the nation of Israel. God said, okay, you can go ahead into the promised land, but you're on your own. When the people heard this, verse 4, they were sad. They went into mourning and, and none of them put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the sons of Israel, you're an obstinate people. That's a pretty strong word, isn't it? Should I go up in your midst for one moment, I would destroy you. God cannot allow sin into his presence. He's a holy God. Now, therefore, put off your ornaments from you that I may know what I will do with you. So the sons of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from from Mount Horeb onward. So they're going on, and now I want to pick this up in Exodus 33, verse 7, and look at this dialogue that Moses has with God. Verse 7, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And it came about that everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent, that all the people would arise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent, and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. And listen, look at the relationship that Moses has with God. And it came about whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. Wow. Moses experiencing the presence of the Lord. 
God would speak to him. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship each at the entrance of his tent. Verse 11, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. I think this is an idiom. I don't think it's because we know that no one can look on God and, and live. And I think this is, it's a picture of the, the intimate relationship that Moses had with not God, not, not intended to be taken literally. So this, just as the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend, when Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. And we see Joshua, who is actually with him. And Moses, again, raising up the next generation of leaders, had Joshua there. But God speaks to Moses. God is speaking to us. He is the speaking has a voice. Are we listening to him? I mentioned um, Tozier in The Pursuit of God. He says, we pursue God because and only because he has first put an urge within us that spurs us to the pursuit. The impulse to pursue God originates with God, but the outworking of that impulse is our following hard after him. So God is speaking to us. I used to pray and say, God, would you speak to me? That's the wrong prayer. The better prayer is, God, you are speaking. Give me the ears to hear. Let me listen to your voice. God, let me hear what you're saying to me through your word. God, let me hear what you're saying to me through your people, through wise counsel. God, let me hear through your spirit. God is speaking to us. Are we listening to him? Proverbs 8.32 Now therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. In John 10.27 My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Are we listening to the Lord? There's so much static, isn't there? I mentioned having my appendix out. The Lord allowed me some time to... I'm not very good at doing this. My wife will tell you that. People that know me, I tend to push pretty hard, but He made me lie down in green pastures. You know what I mean? He made me. And I had an opportunity to hear His voice. I had an opportunity to be convicted of, of some sin in my life. And an opportunity to be reminded of his greatness and who I am and who he is and what he's called me to do. God is speaking to us. Are we listening to him? Secondly, God knows us by name. Have we responded to him? Let's keep reading in Exodus 33, verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you do say to me, bring up these people, but you yourself... Have not let me known who you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name. Moses is clinging to this. And he's reminding God. God hadn't forgotten, but he, for, it's for Moses' sake. God, you said to me, I've known you by name. And you, have all, and you have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray to you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And so Moses is petitioning for the people and praying for them and, 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 and interceding on behalf of, of the nation of Israel. And he said, my presence, verse 14, my presence shall go with you. 
God says, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Now Moses is assured that God will be with him. Verse 15, then, he said, then Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up, for here, up from here. I, you know, God, I've tried that. I've, I've tried living on my own. I, I need you. We need you. Verse 16, for how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we and I and your people may be distinguished from all the other people who upon the face of the earth? In this day to see God, you came to Israel. Now with Christ coming and in the church, we are sent out to the uttermost parts of the earth to go and make disciples of, until every tribe and tongue hears the name of Jesus. But this time, to know God, you had to come to the nation of Israel. And Israel was to be set apart from the nations around them and to, to worship God in, in purity and holiness and, and portray the, God's glory to the nations. Verse 17, And the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken. I love this. For you, Moses, have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. God knows us by name. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out in John 10. Third, God wants to reveal himself to us. Will we seek him? Verse 18, then Moses said, I pray to you, show me your glory. God, show me your glory. What is glory? What is glory? Moses is requesting for God to, that he would know him, that he would show him his glory. And God's glory, chabod, is, 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 means is weight or heaviness. It's the manifestation of his divine attributes and perfections. It's an expression of His holiness. It's a display of His excellence. And God, or Moses is requesting of God, God, I've seen amazing things, but God, I want, I want to know you more. I want to seek you more. God, show me your glory. I love this quote by Warren Wiersbe. Moses reflected the glory of God, but you and I, Christians today, in, through a relationship with Jesus Christ, we may radiate the glory of God. And I think that's what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all with unveiling face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And so Moses is asking God to show him his glory. A big idea, the summary really this morning, that God is a personal, relational God who has created us to know Him fully and intimately, but we must seek after Him and pursue Him and respond to Him. And His promise is that I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me will find me. I've asked Colin to come and, and to close us in a, with a, uh, a time as, uh, with, with a song so that we can... Seek the Lord and, and allow God to reveal himself to us. And so I'd, I want to ask us if now if we would please respond by, by standing and asking God to, to reveal himself to us. And parents, on this Father's Day, one of the things that we can do is to help our kids to experience God by showing them, so by Going on, maybe going on a walk today or 
showing them God's creation. I want to challenge us to, to look for God's sightings today. Look for what God is doing. It might be the sunset. It might be a caterpillar. It might be something in the Word of God. But look for God's sightings today as God wants to reveal Himself to us. And as we request and say, God, show us your glory, He wants to reveal Himself to us. Colin.